today on Ag News Daily. We have a uh, pretty strong storm system developing to our southwest. And we've seen a little bit of that action this morning, depending on where you're at. Uh, a lot of southern Minnesota. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is another day here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. I am Delaney Howell, joined as always by my co-host, Mike Pearson. And Mike, we're having a weather-focused discussion later on in the episode. We are. We're talking to our good friend, Wayne Ed Valley. Valley, from Valley Weather Consulting. He is our weather guru. And, you know, it, it, it hit close to home today because I'm up here. I'm still working with the Hamer family and uh, Scott Bankin up on their farm. And, you know, there are these little pop-up thunderstorms running all around mm-hmm. us. And I thought, you know, let's get Ed on. A lot of guys are dealing with uh, with weather concerns. I'm still seeing a lot of farmers out running. How long can this keep up? And Ed will answer that for us here in just a bit. Absolutely. Amongst other good things. Mike, let's jump right into it for today. There's a lot of news I think we uh, should make our listeners aware of. I'm going to kick it off here with just a couple of tidbits from the U.S.-Japanese trade talks that have gone on the past couple of days here. doesn't sound like we really got anything concrete, which of course we're not going to get a trade deal after two days, but it sounds like things were pretty pretty good um, for the most part. It sounds like they got a couple of big issues discussed. The biggest one that really they focused on was how to reduce the trade deficit that we currently have with Japan, which is about $67.5 million in goods for 2018. So that was really what Lighthizer said they spent a lot of their time on, as well as talking about other sectors, including automotive, agriculture, manufacturing, etc. So Sounds like they're moving right along with trade talks there. Um, and they reaffirmed their shared goal of achieving substance, substantive results on trade sooner rather than later. So it sounds like both parties really want to get something put together quickly and efficiently. And it, it kind of sounds like they're going to take kind of a two-pronged approach here to developing trade, maybe working on some of those um, easier issues I would say, first, and then following up with negotiating on other trade and investment concerns, secondly. Mm, Okay. All right. But we don't yet have a real timeline, do we, for these Japanese talks? That is the one thing. We know they're going to accelerate, but we don't know at what speed. Right. And they didn't really give a timeline for the next meeting. They just said they'd like to get a meeting on the books soon. Okay. Well, I think we would, too. Yeah. Get one written down, boys. Check your schedules. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, share those Outlook calendar invites with each other, and let's get something there done. There you go. Um, I've got some trade news as well to kick off the day. We had the uh, monthly trade deficit report today, and we saw the second straight month where the trade gap narrowed with China. Um, this was good news for President Trump. Uh, you know, it's, it's an argument that perhaps the tariffs are working. We are reducing our consumption of Chinese made goods. We're also seeing, however, the trade gap narrow because there were huge orders for aircraft in the last month. And these were predominantly those Boeing 737 MAX planes. And that helped shrink the trade deficit. Unfortunately, all of those planes have been grounded because, you know, they kept crashing. So we're probably not going to see as many shipments of those going forward. We'll probably see the trade gap uh, widen again this next month unless, and this is the big wild card, a trade deal gets signed Mm -hmm. and China steps in and buys a ton of pork and beans. Mike, did you see the numbers about how much the trade gap narrowed by? 
I did. It narrowed 3.4% and it dropped to $49.4 billion. It's the, the smallest trade gap since June of 2018. Okay, June of 2018. So kind of like right when trade war was starting. Yep, exactly. Exactly. Well, it sounds like maybe we'll get a trade dealer. We'll have something exciting come out soon. Uh, The Wall Street Journal is reporting today that the U.S. and China have tentatively scheduled another round of face-to-face meetings. So it sounds like that debate is over, whether or not to have it in person or via video conference or whatever. Sounds like they are going to be meeting in Washington, D.C. the week of May 6th with... um, Lou He coming, the vice premier, doesn't sound like President Xi will be coming. So I think that's going to be maybe kind of a golden ticket. Or I think if, if, if he comes in person or is at the meetings, I think that's a good sign to say, hey, these are probably about done. But he's not expected to be there, so maybe another couple of rounds. Okay. Yeah, well, I guess it's all baby steps. We just got to gotta take what we can get. We do, absolutely. And I, I'm going to jump in here with one other trade-related story because it's not so good and I want to get it out of the way. The EU is preparing for potentially a, well, this is written in euros, so 200 or 20 billion euro retaliation, which I should have done the math. I'm not sure what that is. I think it's 11 billion in U.S. dollars. They're preparing for another round of tariffs against the U.S. over Boeing subsidies and tariffs. So they are looking at a list here of about $11 billion on U.S. goods, which could include largely agricultural goods, including tractors, suitcases, frozen fishes, fish, not fishes, um, fruits, wine. Loaves of fishes. It's a very biblical <laughs> phrase. Liquor, ketchup, coffee, etc. So this was in... Um, the fight here over the EU and U.S. subsidies and their plane makers with Airbus and Boeing. So we will continue to watch that. Essentially, I think they're trying to put some pressure on on the U.S. here. But Cecilia Malmstrom, their trade chief, said, let me be clear, we do not want a tit for tat. I still believe that dialogue is what should prevail between important partners such as the EU and the U.S. But it does appear that they're doing a little bit of a tit for tat here. Yeah, yeah, I would say that's kind of talking out the side of her mouth. Yeah, seems to be tit for tat. A little bit. Mm, gosh, all these people are just so full of shenanigans, Delaney. Yeah, well, that's politics for you, Mike. It is, and I've got just one other piece of news that relates to China. While we were still kind of talking trade and stuff, a senior Chinese official came out and said that pork prices are expected to jump as much as seventy percent. In China, as we get towards the end of 2019, due to African swine fever culling their herd. I thought that was a huge fact. Man, that's going to cause some unrest in China because they eat a ton of pork and the country is still predominantly poor. Well, it sounds like they may not be eating as much pork in twenty late 2019 and beyond. Absolutely. They're going to have to start stepping up their import orders, like Ted Seifert mentioned on Monday. Yeah. They're going to have to come to the table and uh, and get some bot. Now, the other thing I thought was interesting, this administration of Chinese administration officials comments, he said that the hog herd already has been decimated by about 10 percent. That seems a little low, in my opinion. Well, that's what I thought, too. But then I was thinking, you know, maybe that's their their facts up to, you know, like 
the first of April. You know, maybe that's mm-hmm. the first quarter's death toll. But uh, that was the lowest that we've seen so far. That's far lower than the 30 and 40 percent that we've talked about before. So I just thought it was worth mentioning. Okay, that is a uh, worth mentioning for sure. Maybe, maybe we'll see some moves on the trade deal just because they know, if nothing else, pork needs to get back into the country for those yeah, people. Exactly. That's that's I think some leverage we've got right now. I know it is some leverage, and it's not really like leverage that you ever could have, you know, created or planned for it. But it was just kind of a luck of the times, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, the conspiracy theorists would say. <laughs> could have been created right no i know i was thinking that too as i said that because <laughs> i just finished yeah. watching house of cards again and you know that's like total political conspiracy theories etc but there's actually an interesting conversation on twitter about okay we know what african swine fever can do to hoggards we're seeing mm-hmm. it happen in china we know what's happened so far to the price of pork in the u.s we're up about 30 uh-huh. percent on uh, on the lean hog markets just since this thing broke what if somebody was to take a really long position in the hog markets and then somehow introduce African swine fever to the U.S. herd, hog prices would skyrocket. Hmm. And I thought that was a, that, yeah, yeah, exactly. That, you know, could a hedge fund, would a hedge fund bring over African swine fever in order to spike the markets? Uh, you know, I feel like that would be grounds for like, you know, I don't know, treason or something. Well, yeah. I mean, shoot, that would practically be terrorism if they did that. That would. You know, I feel like that would almost be insider trading. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Huh. Interesting. Except I don't believe there is the concept of insider trading in the commodity markets. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Well. Yeah. This just a conspiracy anyway. theory, folks. Mike's yeah, not going to actually theory. go it's, do this. Just something for our listeners to chew on while they're out there in the tractors this, this spring. <laughs> there you go. Well, another thing that farmers, I think, should chew on here, I'm not saying this is right, wrong, or otherwise, but an interesting report came out from Michigan State recommending growers use lower nitrogen use in parts of their field. Let me let me explain this just a little bit more. They said after doing a couple of studies, they're recommending that corn growers leave those areas that have been consistently underperforming on areas of their farm alone and not apply nitrogen fertilizer. This research was published published in Scientific Reports Journal and is the first to quantify nitrogen losses from the low worth of the subfields for 70 million acres of farmland in the Midwest. So they looked at 70 million acres and found as a whole, they say, just don't apply this fertilizer whatsoever on those. And they said the study the findings from the study allow farmers to know exactly what portions of their farm fields have stable yields, which allow them to better manage their variable fields to save money, reduce fertilizer losses, and lower greenhouse gas emissions. Interesting. So is this data like available to the public already? Yeah, I think so. It's in this journal, Scientific Reports. Oh, Pulling so it up do we have right to subscribe now. to the journal or can we get it like on the web somewhere? Yeah, it's an, it's an online. I think that would be information to have because one of the things that we've been talking about quite a bit up here in all of Northeast Iowa, I've heard chatter about it in Illinois, in Northwest Iowa, probably Southern and Central Iowa as well are having the same problem. There is no fertilizer to be had. Mm-hmm. Uh, just had a conversation with a guy who said there was a lineup of 32 tanker trucks at the anhydrous terminal in Green oh Mountain, my gosh. Iowa. Yeah, everybody is waiting on gas. 
And, you know, if we could identify some fields that maybe don't need it, maybe we Mm -hmm. can cut back some for this year. Yep. So this study looks like it is available online. I'll share it on our our Twitter and Facebook account here. It's only nine pages long. So for a research study, I feel like that's pretty good. Um, There's some interesting graphs on here with, you know, certain states and their um, results and whatnot. So if anybody wants to uh, peek through that, by all means. Actually, it's only like six and a half pages because the last two pages are all references. So, you know, there you go. It's about six and a half pages worth of study. Might be worth your time. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll share it. Just look up at Ag News Daily on Facebook and on Twitter. You'll be able to find it right there, listeners. Absolutely. Mike, I am out of news for today. What do you have left for us? All I have is a completely dead laptop. Get <laughs> to close out the day. Um, well, I wished I could have picked a different day to do it because the markets weren't too pretty on the closes for today, especially in the soybean markets. But folks, this is why you need to have a marketing plan in place doesn't matter with who, but just have something in place so that when we have these volatile times or non-volatile times, maybe right now, you have a plan you can stick to. If you need help creating a plan, you can always call our partners at the Zaner Group. Give them a call today at 312-277-0050. All right, the corn pits probably were the well, the wheat pits were maybe the winner for today. The corn pits may contract down three quarters of a cent at three fifty-eight and a quarter. The July losing three quarters of a cent at three sixty-seven, and the December also cutting through three quarters of a cent at three eighty-six and three quarters. The soybean pits giving up quite a bit again today. The May contract down nine cents to close at eight seventy-nine. Even the November down eight and three quarters to close at nine twelve and a quarter. In the wheat pits, the May contract put on two cents to close at four forty-seven, even while the July up a penny and three quarters to close at four fifty and a quarter. Hopping over to look at the livestock pits for today, mixed markets across the live cattle and feeder cattle pits. The April live cattle contract down twenty-two and a half cents to close at one twenty-six ninety-two. The August up twenty-two and a half cents to close at one nineteen fifty-five. In the feeder cattle pits, the April contract cutting 35 cents on the day at 145.32 and a half. The August putting on a quarter at 160.45. And in the lean hog pits, seeing some weakness in the front three contracts here with the May contract giving up a nickel at 88.92 and a half. The June giving up a dollar to close at 96.12 and a half in the July, cutting 55 cents. To close at $100.62 and a half cents. Rounding out our markets with the dairy class three milk futures. We've got the April contract down a penny to close at $15.94. The May putting on 18 cents to close at $15.81. Now with that, let's turn it over to our conversation with Ed Valley of Valley Weather Consulting. Well, today we're chatting with our good friend, our weather expert, Mr. Ed Valley from Valley Weather Consulting. Ed, how you doing today? Doing well. How are you? Fantastic. I tell you what, I'm up here in north central sure. Iowa doing a little bit of tillage, and I understand that we've got potential for a uh, kind of a wild next 24 hours up here. Yeah, we have a uh, pretty strong storm system developing to our southwest. And we've seen a little bit of that action this morning, depending on where you're at. Uh, A lot of southern Minnesota finally switching over to spring after that wild storm we had here last week. Uh, Plenty of showers and thunderstorms around. And uh, I think 
you know, depending on where you're at, it's it's definitely going to be a pretty intense afternoon, especially the further south and uh, east one travels here across the Ag Belt. You know, once we get down into portions of the Southern Plains, Missouri, Eastern Iowa, and eventually into the Ohio Valley here tomorrow, we could be dealing at some, you know, we could be dealing with some pretty significant severe weather. And how much rain or severe weather, maybe hail in some parts is what I'm hearing, um, will we be dealing with? Because I know farmers are not excited about getting more rain and getting further delayed to get things done in the fields. Absolutely. And, and that's exactly what all of my customers are telling me as well. And unfortunately, well, I guess I'll start with the good news. The good news is the rainfall amounts are going to be very storm dependent. So if you get under one of those heavier rain uh, storms coming through, unfortunately, you know, some places may see one to two inches of rain. Um, however, there are going to be places that miss out on some of these rains. Maybe they get a tenth or a quarter of an inch of rain. So it's going to be very, like I said, storm dependent. But I think in all honesty, besides the, the obvious rainfall concerns, some of these storms can really pack a punch, uh, especially as you get down into southeastern Kansas down into wheat country down there in, in portions of Oklahoma in north central Texas uh, and over into Missouri as well. Some of these storms can can have baseball sized hail in mm. some Oof. of them. So it yeah. So we're we're definitely gonna be busy here this afternoon and into this evening. Wow. So that's that's short term. Now to add we've seen over the past two weeks, weird blizzard freak thing mm. come out of nowhere. We've got this severe weather outbreak that's happening. Does this can we determine a pattern going forward from these past couple of weeks worth of weather? Are we setting up for a an active weather pattern? You know, it's it's an interesting thought because, you know, when we see changes in the weather pattern, you think back to the past three or four weeks of weather and you're like, how the heck are we going to get rid of this, this wet pattern? Is it ever going to be sunny and warm? And I think as we move into the end of April and especially into the beginning part of, of May here, I think we are due for a pattern change. I think we are going to shift around the pattern a little bit. Now, is it going to be dry and perfect every single day? No, absolutely not. But I think when we look back at the month of May uh, and compare it to April, I think we're going to notice that the eastern and central portions of the belt, you know, maybe from eastern Iowa on eastward into the Ohio Valley, that area, I think, is going to dry out fairly significantly compared to where we've been. But as we, as you get further west in the belt, you get into Nebraska, Kansas, western Iowa, maybe southern South Dakota. That Those areas, I think, are going to stick with a wetter-than-normal pattern. However, the good news here is, regardless of where you live, I think we're going to definitely start turning up the heat. Um, n- nothing to be concerned about, but I think a warmer trend is certainly going to be welcomed by a lot of people. Absolutely. I'm tired of the cold, gross, wet weather. Um, And I want to ask about the pattern that people have been referring to as the bomb cyclone pattern. Of course, Nebraskans uh, know that pattern all too well. Can you explain to us what that pattern means and how it kind of got that name as bomb cyclone? Sure. It's as a consulting meteorologist, you know, you hear all these buzzwords and it just makes me shake my head. (laughs) But I think, the overall idea with these storms are we have a lot of energy coming in from the Pacific Ocean. 
And, you know, it's called a subtropical jet stream. So basically that's just the atmospheric river of moisture and wind above our heads uh, that's transporting a lot of warmer air and um, a lot of moisture into the pattern. And, and when you combine that with you get this moisture coming out of the Gulf of Mexico, out of the south, and usually you see a low pressure form in eastern Colorado, portions of uh, the panhandles of Oklahoma and Texas, and then they move on up into the Midwest. And these last few storms have just been abnormally strong. Um, you know, and, and I think that speaks to the time of the year. You can think about in the spring and in the fall, we get a lot of volatile weather and a lot of different weather that we're seeing day to day. And due to the contrasting air masses, you know, we had all that cold up in Canada and then I'm down in North Carolina. It's been absolutely gorgeous the last few weeks. And you guys in the Midwest are right in that battle zone of, of air masses. And you toss in a, a strong area of low pressure. And if we, you know, the, the term bomb cyclone is, is more of a, a media term, in my opinion. But it is okay. a legitimate weather term. Um, it's basically when a storm strengthens uh, at a certain rate over, over 24 hours. Uh, so typically, you know, when we have these contrasting air masses, you're going to get these big storms. And now that we we have the observations and we can see that it's strengthened a certain amount in a certain amount of time, that's where you get your bomb. So it's really, it's, it's the same weather we've always dealt with. We've just been seeing a lot of these stronger storms moving through and they've gotten a fancy name of late. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, and I yeah, also want to... Yeah follow up and ask you then we also saw snow in parts of illinois over the weekend um, the dakotas still yep. have quite a bit of snowfall on the ground how quickly yep. can that snow melt because i think that's kind of a big concern for producers downstream so to speak sure absolutely and yeah i, I have a lot of customers in northern iowa northeastern nebraska who obviously were ravaged by that flooding a few weeks ago and when they heard that, oh, you know, one to two feet of snow is, is going to fall in the Dakotas, obviously their initial thought is, well, where's that water all going to go, right? And that is what we're kind of focusing on here going forward. But for, for a really good example of, of how strong the sun is this time of the year, um, I'm just looking at Aberdeen, South Dakota, for example, here, and they got about 12 to 15 inches of snow back on the 11th of, uh, of Mar or March, my goodness, April. And, you know, as of this recording, this is about a week later. And we've gone from 13 inches of snow depth to less than one inch in a week. So we are melting this snow rather quickly. Um, and, you know, I would expect combined with this rain coming in that we are going to be dealing with river flooding over the next few weeks. But I think we're going to know here probably by the weekend or early next week as to the impact of this flooding, because we're getting all of that water coming into those tributaries and rivers now. All right. So that should be getting itself resolved. Hopefully it's not another catastrophe. Ed, in the short term, looking out over this period while that snow is melting, do you see any other large scale rain events that could compound it? Yeah. So I, I think the one we're seeing now uh, today and into tomorrow is, is really the only big system we have coming over the next five days. But I think as we get into the middle of next week, Tuesday, Wednesday, the 23rd and 24th of April, 
we do, I think, are unfortunately going to have another rain story to talk about. But at first glance here, I, I don't think it's going to be as significant as the last few, which is good news. And beyond that, I think it's, you know, a, a fairly benign pattern through next weekend or, uh, you know, through about the 28th or 29th. So overall, my, my outlook really isn't that pessimistic in the rainfall department. I think we're going to see these rains back off a little bit to end the month and combine that with a little bit of warmth we discussed earlier. And I think we could be doing, you know, if we talk a, a week or two from today, I think we would be having a much more optimistic conversation than we are having now. And the other big question I, I have personally, and I know a lot of farmers I've talked to have it too, is the saturation levels. I think the concern after the flooding was really there was nowhere for this water to go. What does it need to take for some of these saturated grounds to, I don't, unsaturate? Maybe that's not the correct word there, but dry out, I suppose. Yeah, yeah so that's, that's a really good point and, and something that we've been focusing on pretty, pretty strongly because you're right. Our, we've been wetter than normal for what feels like over six months now. And, you know, last fall we had some, some harvest issues in some spots, you know, having delays with all that rain. And, you know, you look at the last six months, there are places in pretty much the entire belt with the exception of Southern Kansas that are anywhere from three to eight inches of rain above normal for the last six months. And, the good, the good news here is as we get into May and we get into June, if we do indeed see that reprieve in rainfall combined with some of that warmth, I think our evaporation rates are going to steadily rise here pretty quickly into uh, the end of the spring here. So it's, if we can manage to get a five to 10 day stretch of, of dry, sunny and warm weather, I think that's really going to help producers out a lot. Absolutely. Folks would love to be able to get into the field and run for more than a day or two. And I want us to look a little longer term, look at some of your big picture, your major trends that you're seeing. As you look for the next two to three months, these really long range forecasts, you mentioned potentially drier, certainly a warmer May. What else are you seeing out there? What are some of the big factors that uh, we should be keeping an eye on? Yeah, so obviously, we always love to talk about El Nino or La Nina and that is the basis of a lot of long range forecasting. You know, that's kind of the foundation of the, the home, so to speak. And a lot of that, plus looking at all of the data that we're seeing here into uh, the beginning of, of the summer here, June, getting into July, that's also what we're looking at. So we're looking at a variety of factors here. And the big thing that kind of stands out to me and what we need to continue to monitor is, is how El Nino is going to progress through the summer and into the fall, because that will directly impact how our atmospheric pattern behaves, right? So right now, we're seeing a very weak El Nino. And simply put, that's the water temperatures are slightly above normal in the Pacific Ocean. And as we get deeper into the summer, there's some uncertainty as to how quickly that El Nino weakens. If it lingers a little bit longer, that could be a cooler and wetter signal for the growing season. If it were to weaken a little bit quicker, that could introduce some warmer and perhaps slightly drier concerns as we get deeper into perhaps, you know, the pollination period and beyond. Uh, but again, a lot of uncertainty there. And, and the way we're kind of framing it right now 
is we see above normal temperatures for a large majority of the ag belt here into the beginning of the growing season. But I think we're also going to be seeing plenty of opportunities for rainfall. So while we may have above normal temperatures, I think the opportunities for rain are going to continue at least through June. And then beyond June, that's kind of when we have to really analyze that El Nino and see how it's behaving as we get into May, June, and then, you know, as we get into deeper into the summer as well. All right. So maybe not all bad news. Ed, before we let yes. you go, let our listeners know where they can interact with you and find out more if they've got specific weather questions. Yeah, absolutely. My Twitter handle is Ed Valley WX. Uh, and I'm on Twitter all the time. You know, I'm, I'm answering questions there. We have a, a private forecast service that we, we deal with a lot of farmers and traders. Uh, if you'd like to, to check us out, uh, feel free to go to my Twitter again and, and feel free to shoot me a message and we can uh, get you set up with what we got to offer. Awesome. And thanks so much for talking weather with us today. Thanks for having me. Well, there we go, folks. Maybe just hang on to our hats. Let's let it dry out here as we get into May, and hopefully we can hit the ground running with some field work before it gets too late in the dang year. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, I've seen a lot of folks doing it. You're starting to do it. I think folks are trying to get it done, at least some of it done, before we get another pocket of rain. Absolutely. we got to keep running when we can. And with that, Delaney, where can our listeners go to get more information or past podcasts if they're interested? Absolutely, folks. You can head to the website, globalagnetwork.com, to listen to any of our past episodes there. You can also find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Ag News Daily. Like I said, I'm going to share that um, interesting study that I mentioned earlier in the podcast, so you can always interact with us on social media there. Mike, with that, should we let the people go? Let them go. <laughs> <laughs>